The Hamlet Podcast, episode 102. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrizzi. In a rather surprising soliloquy, Claudius has just now admitted that he was indeed responsible for the death of Hamlet's father. He's on stage wondering how exactly he should feel. Is it possible to feel remorse for a crime while at the same time enjoying the benefits that the crime produced? The king's speech concludes as follows. May one be pardoned and retain the offence. In the corrupted currents of this world, offence's gilded hand may shove by justice, and oft tis seen the wicked prize itself buys out the law. But tis not so above. There is no shuffling. There the action lies in his true nature, and we ourselves compelled even to the teeth and forehead of our faults, to give in evidence. What then? What rests? Try what repentance can, what can it not? Yet what can it when one cannot repent? O wretched state! O bosom black as death! O limed soul that struggling to be free art more engaged! Help, angels, make a say! Bow stubborn knees! And, heart with strings of steel, be soft as sinews of the newborn babe. All may be well. At the heart of his dilemma is the struggle between his guilt and his lack of remorse. May one be pardoned and retain the offence? Can one be forgiven and keep the rewards of one's crimes? As we discussed last time, Claudius has the murder to thank for his crown, the realisation of his own ambition, and his queen. If he wants forgiveness, will he have to give them up? He now moves to a discussion of the differences between justice on earth and how it is in heaven. In the corrupted currents of this world, offence's gilded hand may shove by justice, and oft tis seen the wicked prize itself buys out the law. Claudius denounces the corrupted currents of this world. The currents, or procedures, the way that things are done here on earth, are completely corrupted. Interestingly, he's talking about it as though he's not a significant culprit himself. He bounces through a connected series of images now, continuing this sense of a current flowing through how things are done, as the very train of his thought rushes through, a sequence of consequences, all corrupt. Offence's gilded hand, the hand that commits the offence, which is gilded or covered with gold, may shove by justice. Guilt as in gilded also sounds enough like guilt as in a crime, and so Shakespeare cooks up an image of a guilty hand which has achieved gold, or any other reward, through some offence which can knock justice or any consequence out of its way for the sake of the reward. This is corruption indeed, and it is often seen that the wicked prize itself, as he puts it, buys out the law. Again, Claudius is talking about such currents as though he himself has not done just that, committed a crime, a murder, and reaped the benefits while sidestepping any legal consequence. Before he gets any more arch, slipping into the kind of knowing villain territory occupied more famously by the likes of Richard III, Claudius moves instead into the antithesis of earth, which is heaven. For all of the corruption on earth, he says, heaven is different. But tis not so above. There is no shuffling. There the action lies in his true nature. 
and we ourselves compelled, even to the teeth and forehead of our faults, to give in evidence. There, the king says, there is no shuffling, no criminal behaviour or indeed skullduggery to cover it up. There, in heaven, our actions are presented and examined in their true nature. They're seen for exactly what they are. Not only that, we are ourselves compelled, forced to testify, to give evidence of our faults, even to the teeth and forehead of them. Regardless whether we can buy off justice on earth, in heaven, he says, we must make a full account of our sins. So what's to be done? Claudius asks, what then? What rests? What options are still available to him? Repentance, perhaps. Claudius reckons he will see what repentance might achieve. He'll try what repentance can. He'll see if showing remorse might help him. What can it not, he wonders. It can't hurt but it's still complicated. Yet what can it when one cannot repent? Despite knowing the severity of his crime, or crimes, after all, they include fratricide, regicide, not to mention that at least some of the population would consider his marriage to Gertrude incestuous, Claudius is stuck with the very real problem that he can't ask for forgiveness when he isn't really sorry. All the way back at the beginning of this play, we discussed how the difference between the old king, Hamlet's father, and the new king, Claudius, represent a shift between the medieval and renaissance worlds. Obviously, there wasn't something as clear-cut as a murder to delineate between these two time periods, but certainly Hamlet Sr. harks back to an older Catholic English world, and Claudius represents a more modern Protestant one. It was little more than a half a century since the English church had been rocked by the reforms of King Henry VIII and even the sacraments had been changed. Confession, for example, was no longer an option, nor the spiritual relief it provided. So while it may seem a little trite to us contemporary audiences to see a murderer worrying about his lack of guilt, for an Elizabethan audience there was rather more going on as they watched a king in turmoil as he questioned his inability to confess and pondered the consequences of having succeeded his brother onto the throne and having married that deceased brother's wife. Claudius isn't really anything like a version of Henry VIII, but the echoes of that king's circumstances can't have been too far from an audience's mind as they watched Claudius's dark night of the soul. Claudius has become distraught at his situation. He laments, O wretched state, O bosom black as death. He knows his heart is black and that his state is wretched. He next likens his soul to a bird that has been caught in bird lime. O limed soul, that struggling to be free art more engaged. Just as birds get more caught up and entangled or engaged, the more they struggle to get free of the trap of this sticky bird lime, so Claudius feels more and more trapped the more he wrestles with his own problem. From his trapped position, he calls on the angels for assistance. Help, angels, make a say. This is as close to a prayer as he's come thus far, and now he decides to try again in earnest. It looks like it'll be a full-body process, as well as his limed soul, he engages his stubborn knees and hopes that he can make his heart, already locked in steel, melt and instead become as soft and innocent as a newborn baby. Bow, stubborn knees, and heart with strings of steel, be soft as sinews of the newborn babe. And what's the hope after all this anguished prayer? 
all may be well. So Claudius goes somewhere off in the corner of the stage and tries to pray. While he's in this rather vulnerable position, Hamlet enters, presumably on his way to Gertrude's chamber. What happens next will be absolutely essential to the outcome for just about every single character in the play, and so we'll save the conclusion of this crucial scene for the next episode. For now, thank you for listening, and do be sure to follow us on social media at Hamlet Podcast. You can tell your friends, you can visit the website, thehamletpodcast.com, and tune in next week for the end of this extraordinary scene. I'll speak to you then.